We are in the third part of a series uh, entitled Our Comforter, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And this morning we're going to look at, well, in some ways, one of the most important and critical passages of Scripture in the book of John. Uh, You will recognize it as we go into it, but I'm going to challenge you as a church that has in its title Bible Church. I'm going to take you through a number of scriptures because I believe it's important to know what the scriptures say and what they say about being born again. Uh, We use that title, we use that phrase, and I want to go into the heart of Jesus' teaching uh, in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And I want us to begin by looking at the Reverence Bible Church Statement of Faith as it relates to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's important to know what we believe. And you have a wonderful statement of faith. And uh, let's uh, read it together. Those of you who can see it, let's read together. We believe that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is divine, eternal, underived, possessing all the attributes of personality and deity. His ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, exalt the God the Father, and during this age to convict men, regenerate men, indwell, guide, instruct, and empower the believer for godly living and service. That is a wonderful statement, and from time to time, it's good for the church to go back and look at what we have stated is our faith. It can be said that Christians are twice born. We were born in sin, and then born in Christ. We were born in the kingdom of this world, and then born into the kingdom of God. We were born by the will of men, and then born by the will of the Spirit. And such was the conversation recorded in John 3 between two theologians, one from Jerusalem and the other from Galilee. And like good theology, what we learn is relevant and it is practical. We read in John chapter 3, verses 1 and two, sort of an introduction to this, uh, this picture, this portrait of Christ with this man at night talking. Let's uh, follow along as I read verses one and two. Now there was a man of the Pharisees who was a ruler of the Jews. His name Nicodemus. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we find a man who came to Jesus to learn about the kingdom of God. And John introduces us to this man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a citizen, if you would, of the kingdom of darkness, but he took interest in the kingdom of light. We can call him Nick, Nick at night. 
because he came secretly to Jesus at night. Likely he was there when Jesus had chased out the money changers from the temple. Probably he saw that. Nicodemus was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, which was a powerful political party in in Israel. He also was a Pharisee who taught the law, who should know the law. When he came to Jesus, he addressed him as rabbi or teacher. And this was a title of mutual respect. That's how he was known as well. And he acknowledged that Jesus had performed many wonderful, miraculous works. And he concluded that these things could not have taken place unless God had been with him. He came to the right man. He came to the one whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Mick, Nick was a man uh, with an image to protect. He, uh, he wanted to come at night so that he wouldn't be seen, if you would, inquiring or coming close to Jesus. So this night encounter enabled these two men to talk without interruption or public scrutiny. The one who knew all men knew what was behind Nick's visit. He had questions. He had questions about where Jesus had received this authority, this power, if you would, to do signs and wonders. He wanted to know if these miracles were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. As a man of the OT, he learned early about the coming, the hope, the promise of the kingdom of God. What he was not aware of about miracles is the miracle that Jesus is going to teach him. It's the miracle of new birth. A birth that he will come to realize in his own life, I believe, later. Um, Jesus' response to Nick, it still reverberates uh, throughout the centuries, even to this day. If you ask people what's one of the most familiar verses of the Bible, you're going to find it in what? John 3.16. Now, Jesus gave Nicodemus a simple and yet the most profound answer you could ever receive. How can you know, how can you, uh, know the kingdom of God? What about the, the miracles and so forth? His answer was, most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to underline in your mind the word see. The word to see means more than just vision, vision with our eyes. That word to see also means to perceive or to discover and even to discern what must be done. So here was a scholar with a theological degree in Old Testament Bible from the University of uh, Jerusalem who needed to be born again before he could even see or discern what Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. 
Now, at first, when you read Jesus' answer to Nick, it, it may have seemed like an affront to Nick's religious uh, background and credentials. But here's why Jesus spoke so definitively, spoke so clearly and profoundly. And that's what I want us to take a moment to consider as well. Why must someone be born again? Why must someone be be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit? So please stay with me as we move through Scripture. I believe that it's important for the church to have an in-depth understanding of some of the most basic doctrines in the Bible. And being born again happens to be one of those. And it relates to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible talks about the condition of the natural man. The natural man is the man without Christ. What is his spiritual condition that necessitates God's sovereign grace in our salvation? Why must the Spirit bring about new birth? Well, in Romans 3, 10 through 18, let me read it to you. It offers no hope. There is no hope to the man without Christ who is counting on his own righteousness or his own good works to find acceptance with God. None. Think about this as your your epitaph, my epitaph, before we met Christ. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Really? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Just the very thing you hear at the workplace. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. The last statement is is absolutely astonishing. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the condition of the man without Christ. But there are many more scriptures that reveal to us the depravity of men, of man's need for a sovereign work of God. Let's begin with Ephesians 2, that says that the natural man is spiritually dead. He's not comatose, he's in a coffin. And it's nailed shut. That's how we find him. There's no need for a respirator. His only hope is spiritual rebirth. Spiritual resurrection. So here we are in Ephesians. Let's read it. And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Brothers and sisters, that was us. That is our story. This is our song. We were lost, depraved, in need of spiritual resurrection. We were dead. Now, in one of my former churches, there was an interesting family that my girls called the Munsters. I, yes, I know. It, it wasn't nice to give them that name. But that's how the girls saw this family. And uh, this family owned, managed, and lived in a mortuary. Now, my girls were constantly being asked to come over and babysit their two children. Obviously, uh, there wasn't a, uh, a big yes. They just didn't want to go. Um, one night, my wife and I were invited to uh, their home uh, to have dinner. And when we arrived, I could tell they were very anxious to show us around. And so every time we entered a room, I wasn't sure what or who I would see. Um, we were first taken to the chapel. Very nice. Uh, we went into a large room filled with caskets. It's all right. And then, then they asked us to go with them into a room they called the preparation room. Um, it had all kinds of sinks, all kinds of odd tools, and secret portions in little bottles for embalming. And the mortician, who was a Christian, who had read Ephesians 2, he said to me, you know when the Bible says that man is dead? I can tell you, he's really dead. Um, and we sort of chuckled and then looked for the door. And next we were invited to go to the attached living quarters. And the accommodations were really very nice. But when we came to what he called the guest bedroom, I stood at the door and looked in. I didn't walk in. And inside there was a bed with a white kind of fluffy bedspread as well as a reclining chair. And then he told us, this is for the deceased. So that if the family wants to see them in bed, we put them in there. Or they can sit in the straddle lounger like they were at home. Um, I felt a little uncomfortable with that. And I said, I hope you don't mind if I refuse your invitation to be a guest in your home. And he sort of smiled, but thought, why? Why would you not? Um, then I thought, you know, kind of bring a little levity to the situation. I said, you know, uh, if 
at my demise, you decide to put me somewhere, put me in that straddle lounger and, and give me a remote. And then my family will know that I'm really at home. And uh, my wife, uh, she looked at me, she rolled her eyes as just to say, don't say anything more. You've said enough. At this point, I think you understand where we're going. All this is to say that no matter how you dress up the dead or where you put them, what? They're dead. Sorry. That's it. That's the condition we were in spiritually before Christ brought about this miracle inside of us. We were the walking dead. Zombies, if you would. They're spiritually unresponsive to the things of God unless they are regenerated by the Spirit. And notice I didn't say the Holy Ghost. There's more reasons why we had to be regenerated. Jesus said that the natural man is enslaved to sin. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is what? A slave to sin. That's another reason why we had to be born again by the Spirit. Well, both the prophet Jeremiah and King Solomon gave us a vivid description of the natural man's heart. It's full of evil. Jeremiah 1 or 17.9. It's like a um, specialist reading an echocardiogram of the natural man's heart. Here's what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9.3 about the condition of the heart. And it sounds like a news commentator trying to make sense of a mass murder at a school. The hearts of the children and men are full of evil and madness. And some translations say insanity is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This puts into perspective the strange things we see and hear on the news and around us every day. And also, for those of us who have been born again, not to be surprised by the strange and the sinful things that come floating in and out of our mind. Our old nature, I liken to like a computer that has pop-ups. The Bible calls this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They pop up. And if our salvation depended on us for even one minute, no one would ever have eternal life. And that's why we need to be born again. We need to be born from above by the Holy Spirit. I'm overwhelming you with scripture. Jesus observed in John 13, 19 about the love that's in the natural man. He said, and this is the judgment. 
that the light has come into the world. That's him. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because why? Their works were evil. Men prefer the darkness and they hate the light. We might wonder why the natural man does not understand the things of the kingdom of God. Well, Paul clarifies that for us in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 14. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Also, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The natural person, that's the natural man without Christ, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or make no sense to him. And he is not able to understand them, he says, because they are spiritually discerned. What does that mean, spiritually discerned? It means to be unable to judge properly, to determine, or to examine correctly. It's not an intellect problem, but it's a sin issue. The natural man is desensitized by his sin, his lust of sin, his desire for darkness. Therefore, he has no desire to turn his spiritual antenna towards the things of God. To him, the things of God and the Bible are like noisy static. The natural man's condemnation must follow. Jesus taught in Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe, will be condemned. Wow. No doubt Nick was stumped. He was stumped by Jesus' insistence that one must be born again. I'm an Old Testament scholar, and you're telling me I must be born again? I have to be born again to even see or perceive Or understand the kingdom of God? Well, this this conversation went on. In John 3, 4 through 7. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then he drives home his point to Nick. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, this is sort of the second verse to the same song. A man must not only be born again to see the kingdom of God, but to enter the kingdom of God as well. And about this time, if we were tracking with Nicodemus, he's having serious questions about how can anybody be reborn and enter God's kingdom. Notice one must be born again, not just to see the kingdom, 
But now Jesus was saying to enter the kingdom. To enter God's kingdom is to become a citizen. A citizen of heaven under Christ's rule and authority. And it's a wonderful way to describe the life of a Christian. We are part of the kingdom of God. We belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We are his cherished children. And I'm sure Nick thought if anyone could enter God's kingdom, it would be him. He was born in the best of families, enjoyed the finest heritage, and studied in the greatest schools. Nicodemus, however, was stumped by Jesus' insistence over and over again, you must be born again. So we ask, well, how does that happen? I mean, I'm old, so do I go back into my mother's womb? Um, You know, if you were asking these questions today, they might sound something like this. Are you saying, Jesus, that... um, That my birth into a nice, prominent, prosperous, well-educated moral family is not good enough to enter the kingdom of God? Or, Or are you saying I must be reincarnated over and over again until I get it right? No. What Jesus was saying is that regeneration, being born again, is not rejuvenation, nor reincarnation. The unregenerate are like spiritual zombies. They're dead men walking. So let me be clear about a few things. When Jesus said one must be born again, notice it is not a command. He doesn't say you must be born again and you are the one who's going to produce it. You're the one who's got to do it. Rather, what he's explaining is what God does. Jesus clarified that one must be born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? Titus 3, 5, and 6 seems to be a commentary on what Jesus said in John 3. He says, he, that is God, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. There are two, I think, legitimate explanations for this phrase, spirit and water, or water and the spirit. The first is that there are two kinds of births. Our natural physical birth that came out of embryonic fluids, and a spiritual birth that came from the Holy Spirit. I have been at the birth, the delivery of my three girls. Ladies, mothers, how did you do it? (laughs) Um, For the first child, I was more um, nervous than my wife by far. I didn't know quite how to get to the hospital. I didn't know what to do. They put me in these different kind of clothes And uh, they had her laid down, and she was uh, huffing and puffing and everything else. And I was supposed to be her instructor, her comforter. So I was up by her head, and 
I would say, do you want this tennis ball to rub? She would shove it. I don't need Get that tennis ball out of here. Okay, well, can I uh, pat your head? Uh, Leave me alone. Just let me alone. So I was up there kind of going, what do I do, you know? And uh, then it got serious at the other end. And so I was looking down there at the doctor, and he looked like a quarterback uh, sitting under the hip, 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 hip. And uh, he said, hey, uh, come on down here. Me? He said, yeah, come on down here. I want you to see this. So I'm up at this end. He wants me to go to the other end. So I said, I think I'll just stay here and, and kind of help her. I think my wife's saying, go. <laughs> you know. And so I go like this, and I go down this way. And he said, well, take a look. And I go, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, a really, it's really, really interesting. And uh, he, said, he said, no, come on down here. I don't know where that doctor came from. Anyway, he said, I'm, come here, I want to show you something. Look at the head's coming out. I watched this amazing thing take place. Wow. Believe it or not, my wife had two more kids. Um, you know, regeneration is a miracle. There's another explanation. And that is, it's not two different births, one physical and one spiritual, but it's about one birth of by two of God's chosen means of salvation. The word of God that is sometimes like water that cleanses us and the spirit of God who gives us new birth. So either of those explanations fit, but either way, new birth is God's work, not ours. But Jesus expected this Old Testament scholar to know this stuff. You don't know you must be born again? In verse 10, he says to Nick, what what a pointed question Jesus gave him. He said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? And we might ask, well, what is he supposed to know from the Old Testament? I thought that it's only in the New Testament we learn about the Spirit of God and new birth. Not so. Let me give you some examples of, of what the Bible would talk about is spiritual birth. How about at creation? Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and did what? <sighs> Breathed into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Just as God breathed life into Adam, so the breath of God breathes into spiritually dead men like us to make us alive. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. All things are passed away, Behold, all things have become new. Regeneration, therefore, is a new creation brought about by the Holy Spirit. But there's still more. Job, as early as Job in the Bible, talked about the breath of life 
In Job 32, 8, he says, but it is this in the spirit, it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. Job 33, 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Nicodemus, did you not consider those? In Ezekiel 36, maybe the text that Jesus had in mind. And he promised, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of heart and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. Amen. This is Old Testament people. Way before Pentecost. Jesus continued to explain that regeneration was necessary because likes reproduce themselves. In other words, flesh always produces flesh. That which is born of the flesh gives birth to the works of the flesh. But only the spirit can produce spiritual new birth that bears, if you would, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. So did Paul in Galatians 5.21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. And then he adds this warning sign. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a warning. And then Jesus said, don't marvel because I keep telling you, you have to be born again. He's insisting that the man, natural man, must be born by the will of the spirit and not the will of men. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You didn't see the Spirit come upon you. You did not hear the wind blow that causes about this new birth. God gave the right to become the children of God. John 1, 12, 13. But to all who did receive him, That would be us who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of who? Man, but of God. In other words, the spirit did not regenerate us on the basis of our goodness or our performance, but only by his sovereign grace. Again, 
the reason we are born by the will of the Spirit is that the natural man's will is enslaved to sin. We're spiritually discerned. He must liberate us from the chains of sin. And that's what the Spirit does in our new birth. He says the Spirit moves in such mysterious ways. He's at work right now. I can't see the wind. I can't even feel the wind. But I believe he's at work. He's always at work. The wind blows where he wills. The Spirit moves under divine impulse to accomplish God's ordained purposes. Now this will probably cause some of us to stop and say, wait a minute, Pastor. But I'll take the chance. I'll read a scripture. Even our faith in Christ, when we were born from above, Paul says is a work of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that faith is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And where the wind blows, there will be evidence of his presence and his power. Therefore, if we've been born from above, we of all people should be overwhelmed with gratitude for his work in our lives. So what's the takeaway this morning? How do you take all this theology? How do you take all this scripture and you say, oh, that's really good, Pastor Don, I'm not going to seminary. Well, wait a minute, friends. I'm suggesting that this is to give us the biblical background for what we believe in that doctrinal statement. It says he's the one who regenerates. I'm trying to explain what that is about. So what do I want to say in closing to you? Our God is still in the business of miracles. Now the miracles he once performed through the apostles may have ceased. But he still raises spiritually dead sinners to new life. He still forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's a miracle. He still heals the brokenhearted and makes us whole. He still gives us wisdom when we ask. And he still comforts us in our pain and our grief and our sorrow. So my closing thoughts to RBC this morning is, Don't quit believing in the power of God. Don't quit believing that the Holy Spirit can bring about new life in someone you think is absolutely lost, has no shot. Matter of fact, there was one person like that that we read about in the New Testament. He was the most unlikely Jew to ever become an apostle to the Gentiles. He knew the Bible, Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. He got it nailed. I don't know if he would have answered the questions Jesus gave, but anyway, he was also so zealous that he persecuted the Christians of whom many died. 
the most unlikely guy. I doubt very seriously that Peter and the apostles got together. Please, please regenerate Saul of Tarsus. I mean, they just probably didn't have it in their mind. But that's exactly what God did. He met Christ. And his life changed and transformed. Willing to, to offer his life as a sacrifice. To have his head removed in Rome. To be persecuted, rejected by people. What would bring about such a change? There's only one answer. And that is the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, I I want to encourage you that God is still in the business of miracles. I'm not talking about signs and wonders as you read, but I'm talking about the miracle that goes on in us. I don't know what you're praying for. I know some of the things I'm praying for. Unity of the church. The joy of our salvation. The confidence to preach and teach the gospel. To love those who are here. To reach out to those who are not here. That's our job. And it seems so reasonable that we would do that. When you understand how you came to faith. How I came to faith. Amazing grace. How sweet the song that saved a wretch like me. So let's pray. And I'm going to pray for you to not hesitate to pray for God's miracle of new birth in the life of someone you know is lost. I'm going to pray that you will pray For God to do the impossible in your life. That God would do something so miraculous here amongst us. That we'll all say, wow, I never saw that coming. We need to pray that way. This Holy Spirit that did this work. Is in each of us. Give me a break. The same Holy Spirit was in Jesus. Is the same one in each of us. And what limitations are you going to put on him? Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time together. Wow. Thanks that John was able to record this and give us this incredible dialogue between these two men. Nicodemus and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Father, we would ask this morning that you will give to us hope that you will give to us confidence that comes from knowing your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit even now work in each of our hearts. May the wind blow hard. Father, if there's someone here this morning who cannot see the kingdom of God and has not entered the kingdom of God, may your Holy Spirit give to them a faith to believe. Because your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's anyone here this morning who finds himself like Nicodemus. I pray that you will call on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to be born new. Confess your sins. Believe that the Lord Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again from the dead on the third day as had ascended into heaven. And he's sitting on the throne today, ruling and reigning over everything here on heaven and everything in, on the earth. Father, we need a work of your spirit for each of us. Renew us, refresh us, encourage us as we go forth this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.